iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, our Arsenal back under Mikel Arteta. Who got the best boss during the international break? Norwich, Aston Villa or Newcastle? We'll ask why is football still marking its own homework and why the National League is the place to be. This is the game. Hello again, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. We'll also be joined by Molly Hudson very shortly to discuss the women's game. But what a night it was in the FA Cup. First round replay between Stockport and Bolton. We'll start there because it was one for the ages. 5-3 after extra time following a 2 all draw in the first leg. But Edgley Park was electric. The scenes were exactly the kind of community experience that remind us all what the FA Cup is about. About. I got through the intro without saying the word magic. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it was. It was a great game. Of course, it's a very important tie in the area as well. And maybe pointed, Gregor, to the strength of the National League right now. Tell us why. Well, there's just uh, an, a huge bottleneck building up of, of uh, extreme quality, really, in the National League. It's actually getting to the point where maybe the top 10 teams in the National League are arguably stronger than the bottom half in League 2 in the division above and that's all because there's one automatic promotion place and one goes up through the playoffs and also because of the level of investment that's now flooding into the into clubs at that level Stockport for example I was there at the weekend actually for my, my journeyman column local businessman uh, Mark Stott has he's probably the most successful businessman to come out of that that town in fact and he's he's done everything right I mean ominously good kind of uh, structure he's put in place a guy called Simon Wilson who used to work for the City Group um, for for the best part of a decade helped build clubs in Melbourne uh, Japan um, New York and in the early days at City and he's been brought in as as, as a director of football to, to help build Stockport County Wow um, Absolutely yeah and they, you know in the last fortnight or so we should say that they were, they're 11th in the league yeah. Um, despite all this investment, it is a notoriously hard division to get out of. But in the last couple of weeks, the 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 hired Dave Challoner as manager, who who dropped down from Hartlepool United in League Two, probably partly because of the money, but also because of the the vision and the sort of the potential to take Stockport back to the Championship. The goal is to do it in seven years. They they were there in the in the nineties. Uh, that was their kind of halcyon days. And also Anthony Sarsovic, who who was Bolton Wanderers' captain. Until until a few weeks ago, I had a fallout with Ian Evett, and he's he's just uh, helped his new club get past them in the FA Cup. So that's you know that was that kind of underlined their intent, but it's been going on for for the best part of 
I think I think uh, Stock bought the club in January 2020, and they have made some really eye-catching signings, signing players from League One, uh, League Two, and as a, the other thing that to note is they don't really have any spending rules at that level. You know, I, I asked Simon, Simon Wilson about that at the weekend, and he said you've basically got to provide a business plan and say show you how you can play your tax bill, which is obviously different to to League Two. So they have more spending power than League Two teams. So you know. It makes for a really exciting league. I'm, you know, we've spoken. You know, everyone knows about Wrexham this year and the Hollywood uh, adventure that's beginning there. But you've got clubs like Dagenham and Redbridge, whose investors include a guy who is a shareholder at uh, the New York Yankees and Tim Howard, who's the former mm. Manchester United goalkeeper. You've got Grimsby Town, who earned the new ownership, and you know, lots of I think eleven ex-league clubs now in that division, just all bursting <laughs> trying to, to get through that bottleneck at the top so as I say it makes a really exciting league but I'm not sure how sustainable it is actually mm. to have you know a direction of travel in which the fifth division is possibly going to be stronger than the fourth you all know I'm a negative Nelly anyway but <laughs> but let's be honest alarm bells are ringing for me already I mean they were with Wrexham you know but at least Netflix is going to pay for the club to be run from here on out but I mean what happens to the other teams in the league Tom we've already seen Berry. we've already seen Macclesfield and what happened with them there actually now surely needs to be a control on spending in the National League as well if we're going to protect the community value of the clubs and that's exactly what we saw at Edgeley Park yeah absolutely I mean that that's another element isn't it you say about the community Stockport's a massive club it's a massive area in the northwest. I can remember going to games at Stockport where you know Stockport were the big scary team that Lincoln had to go and play against and often that transpired on the pitch by getting beaten 7-1 5-1 and all those kind of things it's very difficult though I would say to put regulation in when part of the drama comes from that dream of reaching the football league you know, if I think back to Lincoln's promotion, you know, we've experienced as a club lots of great times in the last few years. But as a fan, nothing will beat getting promoted back to the Football League that in that season that we did, even though we then went on and won League Two a few years later and that we're now in League One playing great football. Nothing will beat that season when we won the National League. But we did that with investment coming in with an FA Cup run. So it would be quite hard, I think, to put a cap on because you're putting a cap on a dream as well as I understand the point about how sustainable it is and obviously you know we're looking at that league table Greg has mentioned Stockport Wrexham Dagenham and Redbridge they're 11th 9th and 7th they're, they're, they're not they're not even up in the I think is the playoffs finishing 6th 7th yeah extended. yeah so that's incredibly difficult but we talk so much, don't we, about the championship and the dream of reaching the Premier League. You know, this is this is almost the equivalent for a lot of these clubs and these areas. You talk about that as well. The areas and these communities to have a, f- a club in the football league, that's a massive thing as well. So just playing devil's advocate, that's, it's a difficult thing if we're going to be putting a cap on that because you're putting a cap on a dream as well as financial. There, there is a working group actually trying to envisage what a, a salary cap would look like in the National League from next season you know salary cap that was agreed in League 2 has already been abolished so I, I, I'm sceptical as to whether that will progress but the one thing you sh- I should add is that you know it's an eclectic bunch it's not just guys millionaires throwing money at it there's clubs like Boreham Wood and Bromley who have been really really smart they've, they've set up huge academies that provide education and football and you know for 16 to 18 year olds and, and that brings in a lot of funding they often employ their, they, I know Boreham would do this, they often employ their players both as coaches and players so they can give them two contracts. And, you know, there's been some really intelligent thinking. I said this to 
to Simon Wilson at the weekend. He said, you find that there's a lot of lazy leadership at the top level because they can afford to be lazy. You know, when you when you're working at this level, you've got to be smart and think on your feet. So there are clubs like that. Notts County are owned by a couple of Danish brothers who who own like a, a statistical analysis company. So there's, there's a very data-driven model. It's just a fascinating league this year. Absolutely fascinating. But what we should also say is they were outstanding last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. I mean, they, after, after a calamitous start, you know, mm-hmm. two down in six minutes, uh, one of the worst own goals you'll see in a long time as well, <laughs> to come back... Um, and you know, thoroughly deserve it in the second half and in extra time. Outstanding, outstanding night for for Stockport. And I kind of, I think it does underline the fact that they are, they are on the rise. But it, it, you know, you can be on the rise and still falter in this league. That's the thing about it. You have to be, you know, teams have have got to almost a hundred points before and not finish top. Wrexham, in fact, were that team. Fleet, Fleet would beat them by a few points, I think, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago. And I think Wrexham had like high 90s points and they didn't go up because they lost in the playoffs. It's it's just the hardest league in the country to get out of. Just very quickly on it, should there be more automatic promotion spots? Absolutely. But the whole, the whole, the whole I mentioned this in my piece, it would require the League Two clubs to vote for it. So, yeah. you know, turkeys and Christmas come to mind. Yeah. You also have to be really, really bad to get to drop out of League Two. There's always, every year there's one club, we're talking about, you know, spending rules in the National League. It's not doing any favours to the clubs in League Two. There's always one club. This year it's, it's Oldham. I mean, last year South End were nightmare. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about Bury and, and uh, Macclesfield. There's always at least one club, Scunthorpe or another this year, who are being run into the ground, really, by incompetent ownership. So... There's only one other one other relegation place after that. So as I say, you have to be really bad. That's what's that's why I think it's just a bit unhealthy that you have to be so bad to drop out of the league. Which yeah, but I just think I just think it's a bit of you know we don't see it because obviously there's four divisions there, but we're complaining about the Super League and not being able to get into it, and then actually effectively the EFL, which has what four relegation spots in in other divisions, you get to the bottom of it, and no, it's one in one out. You know, it's like a yeah. full nightclub. Come on, yeah. do me a favour. No, but you'd have to change. You're, you're right, but you'd have to thinking about it. You'd have to change the trickle down of the money, and you'd have to you'd have to break that separate divide between national league and football league. And as Gregor hints at there, the big lads sat around the table aren't going to be welcoming in the guys on the outside. There just needs not- to be a rule from the FA that governs our entire football that says it doesn't matter if you run a Sunday league or you run a... No, <laughs> no or no, you no, run no, a professional but- league. If your league is 12 teams, you can have one relegation spot. If it's up to, I don't know, 16 teams, you need at least two. If it goes beyond that, you need at least three. I mean, it's it just should be in, written into our rules. If you have a small division, yeah, one relegation spot. If you have a big division, 20 plus teams, you need to be three, possibly four if it goes over 20 spots. That just need to be written into how football's played but there's a lot of history isn't there in terms of the setup of the football league and the fact that there used to be that one place that one pit of that one spot that you, you would to be elected yeah exactly and like my, you know my dad's told me stories about when Lincoln got relegated previously and how it was like <clears throat> seen as literally the end for the for the city for the community and for the club like and we only managed to bounce back straight back the next season in the late 80s because we were so scared of being forgotten about and being, you know, disappearing off the map altogether. But now you have the flip side of that, where you have these clubs further down who are so desperate to reach that promised land and and go beyond. Let's be honest, because a lot Absolutely. of a lot of the teams, you know, look at Salford, their rise up. Yes, it was again pushed by money and documentaries and things, but you know, their goal is far beyond. Let's get into League Two. 
and, and let's be honest, you know, from my point of view, Lincoln's goal was far beyond let's get into League Two. It was let's get up and progress and go beyond. And quite often you see teams, as Gregor hinted at, when you come up from the National League, you're often then at least in the top half of League Two, if not if not competing in the playoffs the very next season. So that's that's got to be addressed because, again, Turkey's voting for Christmas. You're relying on the clubs above changing their mindset about it. There's just also very little between... You know, you can look at the history of clubs in, in these two leagues now. I mean, you've got Harrogate Town come up for the first time, Salford come up for the first time, Sutton United come up for the first time, Forest Green Rovers at the top of the league. These are historically non-league clubs that have had some mm, a bit yeah. of backing and got in. And the counterweight to that is a lot of kind of historic clubs that are languishing in the... Or, they're not even languishing, they're thriving often, but they still can't get up, up, up through the division. So absolutely... My, if you had, if it was down to me, there would be three three places, undoubtedly. But I mean, there doesn't seem to be any prospect of that changing anytime soon, unfortunately. Well, we've been discussing uh, money in football, and the championship has had big news this week in terms of points deductions handed down to both Derby County and Reading. Reading lose six points. The EFL determining determining that they lost fifty seven point eight million pounds between twenty seventeen and twenty twenty one. The limit, of course. Uh, strangely is 39 million so um, you can lose that much but they, they do have a further six point deduction suspended until the end of next season provided they comply with a business plan that includes player spending they are now four points above the relegation places and of course still under a transfer embargo uh, Derby County deducted a further nine points after admitting breaches of the EFL accounting rules they've been docked 12 points already for entering administration in September they agree to the dismissal of their appeal against that decision. The latest penalty, though, leaves Wayne Rooney's side on minus three points. They are 18 points from safety now at the foot of the table. Clearly concerns over relegation, particularly for Derby County, but do you have any concerns for the future of either of these clubs, Gregor? Well, there has to be concerns of uh, f- over Derby County's future until uh, they come to administration and, and a buyer's found. But I think, actually... Drawing a line in a line under this uh, whole fiasco really is a positive for Derby. It, I mean, it, it all but consigns them to League One. Um, but clubs have done that before in the past. Have gone down to the third tier, you know, cleared the decks and been able to to rise from then from that point again. The difference between Derby and Reading, you know, they both try to sell their stadiums to kind of get around the profit and sustainability regulations. Derby tried a hell of a lot more of kind of inventive accounting uh, practices to to avoid this day really um, and you know the, dif- the difference in kind of tone between the two clubs as well has, has been pretty striking and Reading were basically saying in their statement thank you know I think we need to thank the EFL for their engagement and uh, we'll, we'll learn from this and Reading will be fine this season mm. Derby were kind of characterised by a kind of arrogance uh, and you know a desire to avoid this day at all costs you know, well, they tried desperately to get into the Premier League, and that's the difference between the two clubs, and that's the diff- That's why the punishment, you know, is so much stricter for sterner for for Derby County. Um, Tom, do you fear for either of these clubs at all? And I mean, there was all this talk, wasn't there? I think it was European Super League time. You know, all, all the fallout from clubs going bust. 
you know, Rick Parry of the EFL saying there has to be an independent regulator, almost begging the government, please step in, help me out here. You know, looking up to the Premier League, we need to do something about parachute payments. They're just not distributed fairly. All the talk about what's next, even as Gregor mentioned earlier, you know, the proposed salary caps in the Football League, which haven't really taken hold. Why hasn't the FA, why hasn't English football found space for an independent regulator as yet? Oh, gosh, how long have you got? Uh, <laughs> well, it might just be politics. It could well be politics. I think it's interesting that we're talking about the championship. I can remember us having a discussion before the season started and Gregor and I talking about speaking to clubs across the Football League and it seemed in the championship there was a little bit of fear and trepidation around this kind of an issue of around spending, around money and around the way clubs were structured and set up and that kind of desperate thirst for reaching the Premier League and how that was starting to bite people who had had tried and failed Derby being the absolute classic example of that and I just it was interesting thinking about Derby and these clubs and new owners in relation to what Gregor was saying about the National League clubs and how smartly they're run and how these owners are from the local area and they do things with initiatives and with communities you look at clubs in the championship and if you were trying to buy and do that in the championship I don't know whether that would be even remotely doable in terms of that kind of sensible business setup. because as Greg is talking about with Derby it's a kind of clear the deck situation <laughs> you know you're talking about a club that only a couple of seasons ago had Frank Lampard they were on the brink of the Premier League and now we're talking about oh yeah let's take League One because that'll be, that'll be good for us and it actually will be I actually agree I think it will be but that's a bad position to be in, isn't it, for the status of this, the football in this country that we're talking about a club like that being happy to take a points deduction, be in administration, be desperately trying to find a new owner, take relegation when we're in November. And that's a good thing. But I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer to your point about why haven't they brought in any regulation because it probably is a hell of a lot of politics. And because for all the derbies, there are other clubs who benefit from this situation. Norwich going straight back up talk about parachute payments there are lots of clubs in League 1 at the minute who aren't struggling who might in two years having chased the dream be struggling Wigan Sunderland spending a lot of money doing very well they're happily plodding along probably buying a lot of players who should be in the championship and cracking on in the same way that we're talking about teams in the National League buying players from League 2 that's happening with the championship and League 1 quite a lot this season and this summer players are who probably should be in the championship are playing in League One for teams who can spend more money on wages. So for all the derbies, you have the other teams who are happy to benefit on the other side. So you're never necessarily going to get an overall, yes, let's do this for the good of the game, I don't think. No, I don't think it will happen. Do you have an answer though? Well, the the, the fan-led review that's going to be much uh, discussed is, is, is going to be released imminently, I believe. That's going to be very interesting. I think whether it's going to you know, put forward any concrete solutions and whether football is willing to listen actually because it is it is a holistic vision it has to be the thing that, that coronavirus particularly uh, illuminated was how interconnected every level in, of, of football is every club is when teams are stretching so much for for success the upward drag on, on resources and the, the kind of strain that puts on the rest of uh, the clubs that they're competing against 
is is dangerous. So there has to be some regulation. It's not, it's not straightforward though. I think we all know that. There's a movement. There is a you know there, there's a, a a fair game initiative that's that a lot of clubs have signed up to, um, particularly in the lower leagues. That was was uh, was started by Niall Cooper from from AFC Wimbledon, and there are a lot of clubs signing up to that. They want to they they want to see a change in football's governance essentially, and it all comes back to that. Um, so it's whether whether the fan led review can whatever it puts forward is whether football's willing to listen actually something for we as journalists to probably follow up on actually you know we've been distracted by things like the Euros but uh, pretty important you see clubs being deducted points something needs to be done really even though it's great for the National League that they can spend whatever they want and we lord that of course we do on the game podcast listen that was meant to be our brief introductory chat that's just been uh, finished and um, plenty more to come we're going to look ahead to the big weekend in the Premier League loads of new managers Arsenal Liverpool as well up next we'll talk women's football um, and the Champions League and of course women's football weekend as well but remember if you're enjoying the podcast rate us leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed as you're listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Well, it's been a big week for women's football. A number of things for us to discuss. Let's speak to the Times' Molly Hudson. How are you, Molly? Morning, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, very well. Listen, I wanted to start with the FA Women's Super League announcing that they had more than a million and a half viewers across their TV coverage of a women's football weekend, which is great. How important do you think those figures are? And how important do you think the weekend is itself for for that awareness of the women's game? It was a really successful weekend in terms of the TV audiences. And I think it's something that we've seen a kind of common theme this season. Obviously, it's the first year of this broadcast deal worth around 24 million, you know, huge investment for the league. Huge thing in terms of drawing eyes to the division is clearly working. You know, a a large amount of these people 
that are watching, you know, specifically this weekend, but also most of the season, probably might not have seen women's football that much or certainly not to the extent that they're able to now. So I think that's a positive. I suppose the the negative that comes with that is that the attendances actually in grounds have probably been a little bit disappointing. And I think that's something that the FA are aware of, that now people can sit at home when it's a bit cold, a bit raining, watch it all on the TV. Whereas back in the day, you know, even a few seasons ago, you literally had to go to games because there was no coverage. So I think in the long run, it will be hugely, hugely beneficial, both in terms of TV audiences and attendances. Whereas for now, I think certainly the audiences on TV are more of a positive so far this season than actual in-person attendances. I know it sounds strange, but is the TV audience almost bigger for the game in that it will bring in the sponsorship and the advertising and the revenue that actually drives football? You know, we, we see in the men's game, broadcasting drives the money in that sport and it could be the same for the women's side of the game. Yeah, definitely. I think literally in terms of the broadcast deal and the the money that that's given each of the teams in the division this season, that's a huge step forward because for a team like, you know, Chelsea, for example, it doesn't make the hugest, hugest difference, arguably, because they have investment from the men's team. But then you look at, you know, teams like a, a Birmingham City women in the Women's Super League, the, the investment that they've had from the broadcast deal can go directly into the team and really help them kind of bridge that gap in terms of competitiveness. So I think that's a huge positive. And I think ultimately the FA hope that some of those people watching the Women's Super League for the first time on TV will eventually drip down into bombs on seats in the stadiums. So I think they're they're sort of aware that it may not be an immediate process in seeing that kind of come to fruition, but but hopefully in, in years to come it will be. Molly, how, how much do you think the stadiums themselves play a bit of a part? Because we've talked before... And you've written articles about some of the facilities and things being really detrimental to the progress of the women's game. And we've seen previously North London derbies being played at the Emirates and things like that. How much of a difference do you think that might make in terms of getting fans to come to games in terms of being like, hey, come and watch Arsenal v Tottenham at the Emirates rather than watching it somewhere else, you know, that is a much smaller ground with lesser facilities and is probably a bit less of a draw? It's as though you've read the columns that I'm filing. For this <laughs> um, so um, I think one of the the sort of strange coincidences this weekend was um, the North London derby was played at the Hive, um, the home of Tottenham women. It was a new attendance record for the Hive, for the women's team, which is great. But then you compare that to the, I don't know, 38,000, I think it was, that, that went to watch the North London derby at a previous women's football weekend that was held at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And obviously it's a huge drop off. And yes, part of that was the fact that the new stadium had only just opened. So, you know, some of those fans were just going to see the stadium. But, you know, it was a a brilliant atmosphere that day. There was a proper away section, whereas at the Hive there wasn't at the weekend. Really simple things like it costs £8 to park your car at the Hive. And DL. the hive is is not That's the easiest place. <laughs> the, the hive is not the easiest place to get to. So a lot of people will drive rather than just getting the tube, as you could to say, for example, the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, because it's you know perfectly placed in terms of public transport. So I think little things like that made a huge difference. If you get up on a Saturday and just think, oh, 
I might go to a game and then you look and, you know, the hive is an hour away and it's a walk and a train and it's it's just going to put people off. It's going to make people think, well, I'll watch that live on BBC One. Let's talk about the action that we've had already this week. Arsenal really on the brink of qualification for the knockout stages in the Women's Champions League. I'm not going to pronounce this properly. I tried on the radio last night. Koja? Was that is that right, Molly? I'm not gonna lie, I don't have a clue. <laughs> See, that <laughs> is the that is the a privilege night. of people that work in print, isn't it? You don't have to just spell it correctly and, and you get away with it. Um, well, however it's pronounced, Arsenal beat them three 0 That's probably a bit too rude for the podcast. I apologise if I did not pronounce that correctly, but it was a three 0 win for Arsenal. And you know, Barcelona running away with a group you feel, but Arsenal look like they're going to qualify. We've got Chelsea to come a little bit later on. We expect them to beat Servette, who are bottom of the table without a point as yet um, you watched the Arsenal game how impressive was the performance yeah I think it was it was pretty impressive just because of the kind of week that Arsenal have had they dropped points in that North London derby that we were just talking about that was disappointing for them the first points they dropped in the Women's Super League this season obviously also found out this week that during that game Leah Williamson had suffered what they called a significant hamstring injury looking likely to roll her out for at least the rest of the year and she's such a pivotal player at the heart of defence um, in the in the way that Arsenal like to play. So I think, you know, Coge are bottom of the group. They've got zero points, but they're not a poor side at all. They they pegged Arsenal back for, for a long part of that game last night. And in the end, 3-0, eventually the goals went in, but it was it was a real test for Arsenal, I suppose. When they were 1-0 up, um, Lydia Williams made a big save. It, it could easily have been 1-1 and it, it could have gone another way. So I think it was it was a big moment in terms of building their confidence. And as you say, they're near enough, you'd like to think, qualified now for, for the next stage with the top two of the, the group going through. We expect Chelsea will go through as well. Um, just finally, Molly, the Lionesses squad has been named. England taking on Austria at the Stadium of Light in Sunderland. Uh, that's on the 27th of November. Then Latvia in Doncaster three days later. As you mentioned, that injury to Leah Williamson could affect the country as much as it affects her club. How big a miss do you think she could be for England? Yeah, she's a huge miss. And I think it's really disappointing for her, particularly because she'd been standing in as England captain because Steph Alton's been injured, Lucy Bronze has been injured and they, they still are injured. So you would have anticipated Leah being captain again for these next next two fixtures. So it's really disappointing for her. And I suppose it's a it's a big moment for, for Lotta Wooden Moy, who is another young England defender that, that played last night for Arsenal and probably will, will have a decent chance of playing for England now in, in these upcoming matches. And it's a, a big moment for her to, to grasp, I suppose. Yeah, it should be. Um, listen, Molly Hudson, thank you for joining us on the Game Podcast today. Thank you. Uh, up next, we're going to look ahead to the Premier League weekend. Thank you to Molly Hudson once again, though. Uh, we'll be talking new manager bounce and, of course, looking ahead to the game at Anfield between Liverpool and Arsenal. Now, let's look ahead to the action in this weekend's Premier League. 5.30, Saturday, tea time. Arsenal, on a 10-game unbeaten run, go to Anfield to face Liverpool. Uh, they haven't really faced quite so serious an opponent in those 10 games, though. The last time they did, it was a 5-0 defeat by Manchester City. Liverpool, by the way, have won their last five games against the Gunners at Anfield, but they only have a point from their last two matches. I'm going to focus in on Arsenal, though, on this, because because 
after that unbeaten run under Mikel Arteta. The question is for our resident Arsenal fan, Gregor, uh, <laughs> how, how good are Arsenal really, mate? Come on, we know you love them. They're probably, well, they definitely aren't as bad as what we thought they were uh, after those opening three games. I don't think they're probably quite as good as, you know, some people might be starting to think they are now after this run of, as you say, 10 games. I think the one thing that's kind of striking is that from the from the, of the 11 players that started their, their opening day defeat to uh, Brentford, only Smith Rowe, uh, Sammy Laconga and Ben White started their last game against Watford. So they've rung the changes, basically. Mm. They've got all their new signings into, this, into the squad, into the team. And I think it's huge as well that Aubameyang is back on song because they need him. They really do need him. Uh, last season, he ten go- ten Premier League goals, which is which for someone of his ability is not is not what you would expect. Uh, and he's got seven already this season. And also think the form of of Lacazette has been has been uh, very important for him too. When you're but, playing for a new contract, <laughs> well, I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's uncanny. You'll isn't be it? amazed what these players will do when yeah, their contract's uncanny. about to expire. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a <laughs> delicate one to kind of. Uh, the now tell the truth when your contract was coming to an end how much did it, it was always to your- coming to an end <laughs> <laughs> always had less Different than world. a year left yeah I understand what you mean go on you know the the re-emergence of those two because they were really you know they were awful last season I think the main thing is that Arsenal it's not I've said this before that Arsenal are now able to get their best 11 on the pitch regularly and I think what, what we're seeing is, is something closer to to what they're capable of and it's been it's you know a huge turnaround for Arteta we do have to give him credit because after those opening three games the the storms storm clouds were gathering um, he was under huge pressure his kind of response you know it was he called that fif- those, the 15 days the kind of the, the break that he had he said it was the best 15 days of his, mm. his managerial career his time at the club um, and whatever he did you know even just if it's just keeping the atmosphere positive and lightening the mood uh, I think he deserves credit for but the main thing it's not it's not rocket science the main thing is they've got their best players on the pitch now and, and we're seeing better performance as a result they, they look well coached as well to give him even more credit than, than you did there best players on the pitch but they definitely seem to have a plan unlike other clubs I won't mention this weekend though I know the Arsenal fans have a lot of expectation they maybe don't expect their team to go and win away from home at Anfield but in recent years a game like this would strike real fear into the hearts of Arsenal fans so is this weekend all about the manner of their performance rather than the result Tom? I, I, yes, I think so. It, in in, a, in as long as you can you can forget the disaster it always is for any fan when your team loses. Yes, I think you're right. It can be about the manner of the performance because the key thing for me, both when you think about Aubameyang and Lacazette, your senior star players and some of these younger players, and you said it there, Hugh, fear going into these games. That's been so prevalent under Arteta, isn't it? For Arsenal fans going into these big games, you're thinking, oh God, no, not again thing they've got now is confidence they look confident as a team both these young players Saka, Smith, Rowe the new signings Ben White, Ramsdale and your senior stars Aubameyang, Lacazette they all look confident they all look like they believe in what's happening what's gone on off the pitch on the training ground and they look like they're going onto the pitch with a plan and so when you go into a game like Liverpool at Anfield that is an absolutely massive thing because if you do go 1-0 down early on you need that confidence. You need that wherewithal to be like, okay, hang on. Remember, we're on a 10-game unbeaten run here. We don't have to panic. We don't have to give this away. We don't have to be 3-0 down at half time and trudging off heads down. So yeah, I think you're right that manner of the performance 
comes into it in a big way because it might then turn out that they could get a draw. You know, Liverpool have been brilliant at times this season, but they have also shown that they're not quite that unbeatable, terrifying Liverpool that they have been in the past few seasons. And after their struggles from set of plays against West Ham, they're coming against the best team in the league. The six, six of of Arsenal's uh, 13 goals have come from set of plays this season. They, they obviously signed uh, Nicholas Jover uh, from from Man City, mm. set piece coach in the summer, and it's bearing fruit so far. So that's that's going to be an interesting, um, an interesting to watch, interesting one to watch this weekend. I often reflect negatively when we go into games, as you know, and I start asking, well, if, if they lose, then what? <laughs> so, so I thought I'd be kind to Arsenal this weekend, especially as they're on a long unbeaten run, and ask what it means if they beat Liverpool away and they win the game. Is it going to be time for us to take them seriously? I think so. I th- I'd like to think a lot of us are already taking them seriously. As Gregor says, you know, a lot of credit for Arteta for what he's done in recent weeks. It depends what you mean by seriously, doesn't it? If if they beat Liverpool, a lot of the... Top four? No, no. Nah, nah. Top six? Top six, yeah. Yeah. I think top six, which I think is serious. Mm. You know, we discussed, didn't we, previously on a, on a previous show that if Arsenal can get back to competing in and around that top six and that big six narrative, then... That is that is real progress for Arteta this season. If he can get a cohesive team, as Gregor says, a consistent starting eleven. This is my best team, particularly in defence. Again, something that I think is so important. All the chopping and changing, different systems. This is my goalkeeper. This is my back four. That's a massive, massive thing. And if they're competing in the top six, that's real progress. And I think if they can get a kind of any kind of result against Liverpool, even if it's a draw, I think we can then take it seriously that they're competitors for the top six. I think they're one of half a dozen teams that are competing for fourth to sixth I know that doesn't fit but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean they could you know the, the top three we know who they're going to be I would say mm. and then you've got West Ham Arsenal Spurs Man United could be Man fourth. United I suppose just about <laughs> <in there. laughs> you know it's a yeah, stranger season you've just look at Brighton in there and, and yeah, Wolves yeah. are in eighth but you, know, you wouldn't imagine that when you come to mm. yeah, they're going to be there so but absolutely, you know, they are one of a, a handful, I'll say then, of clubs that, that, that could be, that will be aiming for fourth. Uh, yeah, when it comes to Mikel Arteta and what might be ahead over the coming weeks, I've started to think that he needs to sort of arrest the roller coaster a little bit because he has had good runs before. Mm. Then they go on a terrible run. They're in a good run right now. And I just think if it keeps happening, then we start to build a narrative that a bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, well, he's not going to be the man for long term. Mm. You know, he might be a decent enough coach to get him on a decent run, but the consistency over a season or over two is not there. And I, that's the only thing that I worry about because I do think he is a good coach. Like, you can see, and I've said it before, what Arsenal are trying to do which is a big thing for a Manche- any Manchester United fan, really. Um, so, so I mean, the question is, really, does he need to make sure there's no long-term dip after here to prove that he is going to be the right man for, for Arsenal? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we, we're all journalists. When we watch football, it's about what, what you know, I've spoke to speak to reporters. What's the line? What, what are we going to write about? Particularly when, you know, we're coming to covering for the game pullout on a Monday. When you're looking at, Saturday games you're thinking what what how can we take this on what's the issue and so often with Arsenal it's talking about Arteta and talking about how what he got wrong and I think if he comes out of this game without any of that discussion without any of that narrative maybe it's a even if it's a defeat maybe it's a defeat but oh wasn't he brilliant and wasn't that really clever and maybe they went 2-0 down but they were brilliant in the second half when he made a tactical switch and they only lost 2-1 that can be the disc- the discourse and that's fine but as you say, if it's a resounding defeat, 
that and and that then proceeds you know to what follows is a bad run then that could be worrying but i don't i actually i actually don't think that will be the case no. having watched them a lot recently i think i don't think that will be the case i think they could lose to liverpool but i still don't think that will be the case i just think it's really important they don't they, they, they avoid defeat because they seem there's been games in this run where you think they've been very fortunate I think you know Crystal Palace jumps to mind when they scored a really late yeah. equaliser you know there was a bit, of, a bit of good fortune against Aston Villa just you know that kind of the referee's half time whistle Brighton 0-0 I think Brighton, Brighton could have easily won that game if that keeps happening then it, you wouldn't really necessarily say it's good fortune anymore you've got to say they're finding a way mm. of, of grinding out points and you know not losing and I think if they did that against Liverpool and they extend this run they keep a bit of momentum then that's that's going to be huge for them uh, Listen it will be really interesting to see of course if Liverpool fail to win what that means in terms of the headlines written yeah, about true. them as well so it, I think it's going to be a really intriguing game 5.30 Saturday afternoon at Anfield there are big games to come at the bottom of the league as well this weekend the new manager bounce will be the order of the day lots of conclusions will be drawn once again I'm sure in the newspapers on Monday morning all three of the new managers that have been hired during this window will be welcomed by a home crowd Norwich host Southampton for Dean Smith's first match in charge Aston Villa take on Brighton at Villa Park to welcome Steven Gerrard Newcastle face Brentford at St James's Park for the long term interview boss Eddie Howe so listen who who do you think <laughs> you didn't even get that one straight over your head <laughs> who out of the three clubs Norwich Villa or Newcastle got the best boss got the best value for money the best bang for their buck when it comes to their new appointment do you think goodness me what a difficult question that is <laughs> I don't want to. An eclectic bunch, isn't it? I don't. There's, there's, oh, there's pros and cons for each, which is are. why I ask. I, I think going back to your point about the new manager bounce, it's about where you're bouncing from, and I think Norwich are bouncing from such a low point in terms of their the overall mood around the club on the pitch, and I, you know, we said it on the previous show, so I don't want to go on about it too much, but I think. Dean Smith is a really, really smart appointment. And so I, I'll go for Dean Smith because I know Greg is going to pick his best mate, Stevie G, <laughs> um, the greatest the greatest English manager to have ever lived. But I think that's a really smart appointment. And I think looking at these games, you talk about home home crowds. They come with different different things, home crowds, don't they? The home crowd at Newcastle is an expectant home crowd. They finally got a new manager. They really, really, really need some points. The home crowd at Norwich will be excited for a change excited for a new atmosphere and hopefully you know looking forward to seeing this not that's not me being patronizing to Norwich I just think that's genuinely how we're viewing them this season they're in a really low moment now and a home crowd chance to get behind a new manager also as well a home crowd at Villa Park there'll be some fans in there who will still be missing Dean Smith will still be mm. sad that he's gone and they're playing Brighton one of the teams of the season so far so that's not an easy game for Gerard. so I'd say Smith's the best manager of the three and he's got the best game this weekend Smith the best manager of the three disrespect to Eddie Howe go, go, go <laughs> on Gregor what do you think I think Steven Gerrard is, is going to be a success as a manager but do you think they got the best boss currently I mean that would be that would be disrespectful to their two have got far more experience so um, look Eddie Howe I, I think Eddie Howe is a good appointment too and I think there's so many factors here though too because I think the tools he's got at his disposal are, are nothing mm. like those that Steve, Steven Gerrard does. But continue on your Gerrard narrative. I interrupted. Go ahead, Gregor. Yeah, I, I just I just think that he is a, man, a manager who's got a big presence and he's going to be a success at Aston Villa. I think 
I think I think all the work that he did at Rangers just kind of convinced me that he's someone who his stature is going to have an impact. It didn't it, for many. I've said this before. For many managers, it doesn't. It's irrelevant. It's you know you have to back it up with with what you do on the on the on the training ground. You have to back it up with you know your your tactics, your, everything about everything about the job, the new job. I think Stephen Gerrard does that, but there is something about his presence and his his standing. And the fact that he's quite still, it's still kind of relevant to players of this kind of generation, you know, as well. I think that's very important. So I, I think he's going to be a success. Um, but I, I would actually agree with Tom. I think in, in the immediate term, Dean Smith has got the biggest opportunity of of getting a response and having a, a, a big impact because the atmosphere was so, it was getting toxic. I mean, that sounds daft when you're talking about Norwich. Um, but it was getting there because of all the, you know, the accusations really that were flying around about that football club and their lack of ambition and whatnot. Um, his arrival, I think, and I, I, I wrote a piece about this earlier in the week. I, I think as long as Daniel Fark was there, it was impossible to shake those accusations. So, you know, just the fact that he's a new manager walking in the door, he's got a big opportunity to to lift the mood and uh, dispel the clouds above above Carrow Road. And I think probably. Um, he's got a good chance of doing so. I'm tempted to say Eddie Howe. Well, you've got to now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at, listen, I, you know, I, obviously I said everything that I had to say about Eddie Howe's defensive record, which mm. I, I don't think was great, but he had a huge reputation when he was at Bournemouth before yep. they got relegated. You know, people saying he's a future England manager, he should be coaching further up. I remember I think the Everton job came up mm. at the time and everyone was saying, Eddie, you know, they should definitely go for Eddie Howe. He plays this great brand of attacking football. I've really respected what Steven Gerrard's done so far at Rangers. You still have to caveat that. I think they did great in Europe, but it is the SPFL in terms of winning the title. He also wasn't great in the cup, so we'll see. Dean Smith, uh, yeah, I've had what I've said what I had to say about <laughs> about Dean Smith. I think again, for Norwich is a good appointment. For me, it's an appointment that looks towards life in the championship. I'm really intrigued to see how Eddie Howe does, because I think if you can grasp the atmosphere at St. James's Park, if you can grasp the goodwill from the fans there, and there will be loads of it, mm. they can be titans. You know, forget the, the money. With the squad that they've got now and the manager that they have now, they can put together good performances and good results, and we can see them in mid-table. Again, I'm intrigued by it. I'm not suddenly going to start backing Eddie Howe. I just think Steven Gerrard could be a better manager than him, but we need to see that longevity like Gregor says Dean Smith I've seen enough I think Eddie Howe I think Eddie Howe's a better boss than him so um, but how but how do we think Eddie Howe's going to approach this though because you, you know you're talking about oh, his I, defensive I, record I think do the play like Leeds United really if you really want to harness St James's Park That's, yeah. you throw the kitchen sink at Brentford if you lose 1-0 at home everyone says we had 20 shots we went for it and, and look it's his first game so the things will get better the team will gel so for the first game out pepper the goal Absolutely, pepper the goal. Uh, why not? No, why no, no I'm, not, absolutely I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. But absolutely nothing but in to lose. Position, you tell the players shoot on sight. But you do forget, don't you? With and we have to keep coming back to this with Newcastle because it's it's got a bit of a fairy tale going on with dreams about buying all these players. And Martin Hardy's written a piece today about them looking at some big name players in Serie A. You know, at, at Lazio, at mm-hmm. Inter Milan, that they're going to target in January. And my God, do they need them? But they are really, really in the relegation scrap. And Gregor, you spoke to Simon Francis, who was with Howe at Bournemouth, and he was kind of saying, you know, don't do not do him down too much on defensive ability in terms of coaching and that he's actually 
quite astute when it comes to his defensive tactics. So I'm half wondering whether he's so going he to... He took the blame on himself. He's going, he? <laughs> he's going it wasn't to, the coach, it was me. Is that well. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that up to you to work out. But whether we're going to see a new Eddie Howe now, we're going to see a new resolute, hard-to-beat Eddie Howe. I don't know. What do you reckon, Gray? No, I, I, I'm with you. I think he needs to get bums off seats. I think uh, yeah. I think that's you know clearly needs to get some points, but I think seeing a kind of a shift away from what they have had to endure for so many years at, at St James's Park is important. I think it'll help the fans get behind them. We should point out as well they're playing a, a Brentford team that mm. lost the last four games. Watched a, a bit of their game against against Burnley a few weeks back, and every time Burnley turned them, they looked. At all at sea mm. Ashley Westwood just kept turning balls down down the channels and you know getting Callum Wilson running in behind the, the back the back three there I think I think Newcastle have got a chance finally on this Gregor I know you love predictions so I uh, <laughs> thought I'd bring this one back um, where do we think each of these teams will finish under their new managers Norwich under Dean Smith where will they finish 19th <laughs> Gregor yeah 19th I'll go 20th. <laughs> <laughs> really stick the boot. Aston Villa under Steven Gerrard. Where will they finish? 14th. 12th. Yeah, I think 11th, 12th. I thought Gregor was going to say 6th. <laughs> Europa League run. 11th, 12th. I think that's where Aston Villa will be. He's just getting his, you know, feet under the desk. Newcastle under Eddie Howe. Tom? 17th. Is that survival? Yeah, yeah it is. Just. Just. I was going to say that, but I, I'll go 16th then. 16th I'm tempted to say 16th as well yeah. 15th 16th I think they'll have goals in them as I say play like Leeds United just use the Leeds United blueprint don't worry about losing games seriously no I know but the Leeds win, win one in three and you're going to stay up no I agree from that point of view but the Leeds United blueprint does take a hell of a lot of work and he doesn't have that time so I, that's why I just slightly wonder whether we're going to see Eddie Howe mark two the cautious years but I could be completely <laughs> I could be completely completely wrong. oh I would love it if he shows up and he plays like Roy Hodgson absolutely brilliant if Eddie Howes that's what he's learned when he goes went to yeah. see Diego Simeone at Atletico etc no it would be sensational and I wonder if he'll change his manner on the touchline as well will he be wearing a suit you know it's the new age of, of it could be yeah could be. new age of Newcastle but that's the other thing as well you've got to kind of be seen haven't you at St James's to be part of part of it part of the mm. kind of excitement on the touchline tracksuit tracksuit gives you more Long flexibility <laughs> yeah. more chance to move up and down the touchline I see that's the important He's gonna, there's going to be one of these isn't there at one point just yes. waving to the crowd come got, on come on got to do the arms in the air wave to the crowd actually Gregor did you ever do that to any crowd oh, absolutely yeah did you yeah it must was be. Was it after a tackle? No. Did you smash someone, tackle, leave them in a heap, and then get up and go, yeah, come on then? It must be a great feeling. I always think it must be a great feeling, like the equivalent of being like a rock star, just turning to a crowd and giving them the big arms up and them all, you know, in unison, going, yeah, come on. <laughs> no, never after a tackle. That should be a fine. Absolutely. That should be a fine, yeah. should it? Oh. What about win what like winning a corner late on or something like that? <laughs> down down the line, cross straight into a defender, won a corner. Yeah, come it's on. A, it's always a centre back when they win the corner, go on the little mazy run, have a smash, it comes <laughs> off a player, go, goes into the third row, and then they go, Yeah, it's a corner, come on. And everyone goes, Yeah. Anyway, we'll see if that happens at St. James's Park, whether Fabian Cher will have a little mazy run and, and try and knock one in from 30 yards. We'll see. Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, thank you for being with me for the past hour. Thank you all for listening as well. We'll be back on Monday remember make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times for more of our award winning journalism if you sign up today you'll get yourself one month free go online check it out it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game so many great games coming this weekend in the Premier League we'll react to them all on Monday we'll see you then
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.